Well, uh, good morning again uh, to you all. Uh, as, as many of you know, before I was pastor here, I was the student pastor. And one of the things that we do uh, in the student ministry every winter is we have a retreat that's dedicated to rest. And so all you adults who really, like you, you miss the kindergarten teacher telling you it's nap time and forcing you to take a nap, can we all just agree that like it, we need some people to force us into rest from time to time? Yes, agreed? Yeah, so, so we would teach the teenagers every winter, we would go to Big Chill and this entire retreat is a focus on rest and what it means to rest in the Lord and what it means to, to just relax. And so the, we, we began inviting other churches. We, when we first started doing Big Chill, we would have 15 people, 20 people, and then, and then it was like 40. And then we started inviting other churches and we'd have like 100, 150 people at the Big Chill retreat. And so one of the first years that we invited two, three, or four other churches, um, we just had a large number of people. And I needed a game, a student pastor and like kind of running the, the Big Chill retreat. I I needed a game that kind of got everybody to know each other really, really fast. And so I had this idea. Uh, it went like this. Um, I would have these envelopes with uh, uh, cut up pieces of paper inside. And these cut up pieces of paper are like a puzzle that you can put together. Okay. And so we would get the entire room into teams at their little tables. And they say, okay, when I say go, you can't open it yet. But when I say go, you have to open the envelope. And the first one to complete the tasks uh, wins, right? You're, you're the winner of, of whatever this, this thing is. And so uh, they, uh, on the count of three, two, one, go. And you have like groups of 10 or 15, probably eight or 10 of these groups all over the room. And they, you hear the, the envelope rip open and you hear the paper you know, rustling around and they're getting after it. Now, here's what they didn't know and I did is that this uh, puzzle had a set of instructions that says read every task before beginning and then it had 10 tasks on it. Um, what they didn't know is that task number nine, I didn't put it at the very end because I didn't want them to see it unless they actually followed the instructions. Task number nine was ignore ignore all of these other tasks and just go and whisper something to the leader and you will be escorted out for the real activity, which is a scavenger hunt outside of the room. And it's hilarious uh, as a student pastor, and maybe, maybe I'm a little sadistic, but, but I know what this task is. This task is to get out of the room and go do a scavenger hunt and get around the campsite. But those who wouldn't follow the instructions were convinced that they were winning when they were doing push-ups, 99, 100, yeah, you know, they're cheering each other on. You have this one table running and trying to high-five this other one. We had tables challenging each other for like paper, rock, scissors matches all the way through. And, and little by little, because those were some of the random tasks on there, and little by little, you would see just like one table just quietly exit the room. But the, the rest of the people, they're so sure, like, no, this game is going on. How they finish so quick? I don't know, no. And so they're going. And before it's over, like, you have the last table who has yet to read the instructions all the way through. They're looking around for somebody to do, like, paper, rock, scissors with. And they're the last ones in the room. They were working feverishly fast. They were convinced that they were winning, and yet they hadn't quite read the instructions all the way through. It turns out that the game that they were playing and the game that was being asked of them to play were two very different things. And then the student pastor in me is like, yes, I felt so good. I felt so accomplished. Uh, sometimes in life, it kind of feels like that. We get so laser focused on the task that's in front of us or the rush and the energy that's around us of all the people doing a thing around us that we forget that uh, the rules of the game of our life have been determined by God. And if we would be wise, we would just pause and we would just kind of think, okay, what has he asked us to do? Because the instructions on that was read all of the tasks before doing even one. And yet they started at number one, number two, trying their best to get done. But the harder they worked at the task, the further behind they got. And sometimes in life, we get so caught up in the circumstances around us that we don't pause long enough to think like, 
who's keeping score? Like what game, like I'm winning this game over here, but that scorecard is different than these are the rules that our life should be about. We began this series a few weeks ago on Joseph. And what we found out with Joseph is that just circumstances, I'll just use the word circumstances. They just like, like piled up on our boy Joseph. And it would be easy for Joseph and others who are in his situation or maybe in your situation to take a step back and just look at the circumstances around us and like, what is the score right now? I'm losing. I mean, th- think about what Joseph has gone through. He's, he's the favorite, one of the youngest, but the favorite of his dad. There's some dysfunction in his family. His brothers have lied about him. His brothers have attempted murder on him. His brothers have sold him into slavery. His world has gone way, way down. In his circumstances, it would be easy to look like, man, I must have done something wrong. But the overwhelming truth about Joseph is that he trusted the Lord and he tried to honor the Lord in his life. What is the real scorecard? Today, we're going to try to figure out if we can figure out a better way to keep score than by stopping and looking around and being like, is my life going good or is it going bad? Is my life in chaos or is it at peace right now? Um, we can assess those and maybe they're worth looking at, but they're not actually telling you the truth about how you're doing in life. Your relationship with the Lord tells you the truth about how you're doing in life. And so what we've seen with Joseph is uh, we, we kind of began the series with this phrase is that from broken beginnings, God writes beautiful stories. And we're just really getting a good look at the broken beginnings of Joseph's story. But we fast forward to the end and saw that God's kind of working this out. We're going to see how he does some of that uh, today. And then last week, we, we just kind of made this observation is that every compelling story has chaotic characters and broken chapters. That, that no, matter, no matter what story you look at that's worth watching, it has some just jacked up pieces to it. I, I started watching last night uh, Disney's Secret Invasion. I don't know if anybody's turned that on. It's weird. It's confusing. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, the good guy's actually a bad guy. I didn't know because every compelling story has some chaotic characters and some broken chapters. That's what makes it a good story. And if you find in your life that this is just, I'm in a chaotic chapter right now, Jesse, that's a really good sign that that the Lord is working this out. And you're like, oh, how, how can you be so sure? Because from broken beginnings, he writes beautiful stories. Your story will be one that if you choose to share it in the future, you may rescue somebody that's just entering the season of brokenness you're in right now, who's just entering it now. Because why? Because you've seen the Lord write the next chapter and the chapter after that. You may be a bridge of hope to somebody else. And so with Joseph, he's lost everything. He's lost his brothers. He's lost his family. He's lost the security of being dad's favorite. He's lost the security of being the the leader of the family. He's lost connection to his home. He's lost his friends. He's lost his high school. He's lost everything. And all he has left is the Lord. And we're going to find out today that that's enough. If you lose everything, If you lose everything that makes your life stable and all you have left is the Lord, Joseph is going to teach us today, you have enough. It's going to be okay. If all you have is the Lord, it is enough. We're going to be in uh, Genesis chapter 39. That's where we're at today. Um, If you want to follow along in your Bible. Um, I I saw a quote uh, uh, yesterday from uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a German pastor during World War II. He was kind of uh, uh, involved in like, how do we handle this Hitler problem? I don't know if you heard about that guy or not. Uh, but, But he's trying to figure it out. And he's looking at like, this is chaotic. Can we all agree World War II would have been chaotic if you were alive in that moment? And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he's like, this is chaotic. And he's trying to, to shepherd people. Here, here's what he says. Listen, listen to how he kind of sums this up. He says, God does not give us everything we want, 
But he does fulfill his promises, leading us along the best and straightest paths to himself. Says the guy who's watching the Holocaust happen. Says the guy who's watching World War II unfold and Hitler try to march across the entire world. He says that, that God does not give us everything we want, but he does fulfill his promises, leading us along the best and straightest paths to himself. And what we're going to see with Joseph is that it doesn't quite make sense, and it seems really chaotic, but, but it's the fastest, straightest path for Joseph to get to God and for God to rescue his family out of what is to come. Uh, Genesis 39 is where we'll pick up. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you, for you Bible study uh, nerds in the room, something uh, I read this week. Uh, the book of Genesis has you know several major characters, Joseph being one of them. Joseph gets 14 chapters in the book of Genesis, which is tied for the most number of chapters for a character in the book of Genesis. The other one that he's tied with is Abraham. And so if you just look at screen time in Genesis, Abraham is kind of a big deal, we would all agree. And then Joseph gets 14 chapters to himself. And in those 14 chapters... Um, we're going to find that the name of the Lord is mentioned very rarely, but that's, that's for the end of the sermon. Let's, let's start reading. Let's see, let's see where we get. Verse 39, or chapter 39, verse 1. Now, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. I, I don't know if you were paying attention to the verbs right there. Joseph didn't have a lot of say in how this went down. Joseph was brought down, and Potiphar bought him, and then the Ishmaelites brought him down. It, it turns out that Joseph's life is really outside of his control right now, uh, and he's being brought way, way down. We know the end of the story is that he's lifted up. Um, it turns out one of the takeaways from the entire arc of Joseph is that before you can be lifted up, sometimes you have to be brought down. And his life is outside of his control, and yet we're going to see that God still has... Uh, something to say about it. Verse 2 says, the Lord, that is, uh, notice the, in, if you're reading in your Bible, I don't think it shows up up here. Let's see real quick. The Lord. Yeah, in your Bible, it has the, the full title case, all the caps, and so that means the, it's the name Yahweh. Uh, the Lord, Yahweh, was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. Okay, so the Lord is with Joseph. And he became successful as a result of it. In, in the, he's in the house of Potiphar, his Egyptian master. Verse 3, his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord, Yahweh, caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Like this guy is, everything he touches turns to gold. He is successful. If I put him in charge of this, it turns good. Even people who don't know the Lord are looking at Joseph like, how are you doing this, man? And it's like everything he does because the Lord is with him uh, prospers. So, verse 4, Joseph Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in his house and field." So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. So in Joseph's story right here so far is everything has been going on outside of his control. He doesn't have control over who he lives with, who's going to buy him out of slavery, what kind of slavery he's going to go into. But then everything he does as a servant of Potiphar is blessed. And it becomes obvious to even people who don't know the Lord that because of what the Lord is doing in Joseph's life, 
It's prospering. Something that we're going to see about Joseph is that while Joseph can't control his circumstances, he can control his character. Joseph can't control what's happened to him, but he can control what he does and what he causes to be. Joseph is a man of honor and a man of character that we don't see how he's prospering this Egyptian, but it is, it is clear to him, his master, and all the other servants that this is a man of character and what he does is prospering around him. You can't control what the world throws at you. You can't control which phone call turns your life sideways. You can control how you respond to it. You can control how you act in those circumstances. We're going to find out that Joseph, um, when he leaves his dad uh, last week, he was 17 years old. Before he sees his dad again, he's going to be over 30. He's going to be between 30 and 35 years. And so for roughly 17, 20 years, Joseph is in a circumstance that he can't control, but he acts in a way that he can because we can all control our character. Now, uh, I said earlier, uh, the word Lord uh, appears right here when it's on all caps, it's Yahweh. Uh, you may, you may uh, be surprised to know this. Um, the word Yahweh, uh, it, it, it doesn't, it, well, it does. It appears a lot in the book of Genesis. It doesn't appear a lot in the story of Joseph. In fact, today will be all eight or eight of the final nine times that it appears. We're going to see that, that the Lord is working, even though you don't hear him brought up. But in this moment, the Lord was with Joseph. He gets brought down into Egypt. Potiphar has him in slavery, but the Lord is with him. He doesn't have his cloak. He doesn't have his home. He doesn't have his parents. He doesn't have his brothers, but the Lord is with him, and it's enough. Why do you suppose, why do you suppose that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake? Why is the Lord blessing the man who is willing to buy a Jewish boy and bring him into slavery? What, what about the Lord? What about Joseph is causing the Lord to bless pagans, to bless people who don't even know his, his name? You know, um, the Lord has never promised Joseph or you that you will never suffer. The Lord has never promised that it's going, as soon as you accept him, your entire life goes peaceful. Never promised it to Joseph, never promised it to you. But he has made some promises. In fact, he made a promise to Joseph's great-grandfather Abraham in Genesis uh, chapter 12. I want to look at it real quick. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. This is, this is God, Yahweh, talking to Joseph's great-grandfather. And he says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Why is the Lord blessing the Egyptian because of Joseph? It's because God follows through on the promises that he does make. He didn't promise that we won't suffer, but he did promise he's going to bless those who bless you. God is following through on the promise that he made to Joseph's great-grandfather, and he's seeing it through to completion. The reason why we can have faith and security in our God is because he's a God who can see his story through to the good ending that he intends it to be. And because the Lord was with Joseph... And because the Lord, or excuse me, because Joseph honored the Lord in this scenario, in this scenario that is way outside of his control, um, the Lord follows through on his promise and that those whom you bless, he will bless. You, you right now, uh, you, many of us have jobs you, you don't, you don't enjoy. You have bosses who maybe, maybe they're, they're far from God and they show it in their actions and their behaviors. Maybe, maybe you work in situations or your family is such that it's just chaotic. And you're thinking, well, what is my role in this? I can't control all of these things around me. You can't control that person. You can't control that coworker. You can't control anybody else. 
But how you act in that situation determines your character. And the, the, the narrative of Scripture is that when we enter into ungodly territory, when we enter into areas that people are far from God and we act in a way that honors God, he not only blesses us, but he blesses those around us. You are probably called to be a blessing in those broken areas uh, of your life that you find. Okay, so Joseph, Joey, he's doing okay. Uh, everything he does prospers. He's in Potiphar's house. If you watch the cartoon, you know that this, this goes sideways pretty quick. It says, now uh, Joseph, this is verse, uh, end of verse six. It kind of starts another paragraph, but now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. He was a good looking guy. There's only one other guy in scripture that gets described this way, and that's King David. He was handsome in form and appearance. Um, and this is really going to be the beginning of Joseph's problems. Guys, anybody else in here that like, it's your looks that causes you your problems? Yes? Yes. Come on now. Uh, you're not the only one. It's, it's, it's as old as the book of Genesis. You, you look good, you get in trouble. There's, there's no way around it. Verse 7 says, And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. This poor guy. He, he's, he's prospering in Potiphar's house. Everything he has is his. There's nothing in Potiphar's house that's off limits except Potiphar's wife. And now Potiphar's wife is like, come on, uh, you're a good looking guy. Nobody has to know. Now, now Joseph, by the way, uh, he's unmarried at this moment. Um, it would be easy to look at Joseph and say, well, who's going to know, right? I can even hear like the TikTok jingle. No one's going to know. Who can know? You know, it's like he, he, could, he could get away with this if he wanted to. But he can't control his circumstances, but he can't control his character. And he chooses in this moment, you know, my master has given me all of this freedom. Even though I'm basically a king in my homeland, here I'm a servant. My master has given me all of this freedom. I have everything, any, anything I can want. The only thing I don't have is you, and I'm not going to sin against my master or against God. You know, who, who, who would have faulted him if he slept with Potiphar's wife? Well, Potiphar would. <laughs> Potiphar would not have uh, appreciated that. There would have been judgment from that, but also God would. Who, who would know that Joseph um, uh, broke in character? He would. Potiphar's wife would, Potiphar would, and his God would. Even in slavery, even when Joseph is the only one who knows the name Yahweh, he still believed that honoring God in this moment is worth it. He still believed that my character matters. This, this moment does matter. But it says, Scripture says in verse 10, And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, Day after day. This is not just a one and done temptation. This is every day he shows up to work. There she is. Come on, come on, Joseph. Now it's not. No, no, I'm not going to. Day, how is he able to say no day after day after day? Here's why. Uh, because it turns out that what is wrong yesterday is still wrong today. And it doesn't matter how many times it pops up. It's still an issue of character. And she's just trying to, you know, whittle him 
down. Poor, poor guy. Turns out uh, Joseph, you know, he, he obviously doesn't know the New Testament, but uh, he, he applies something that you and I would be wise to apply. Paul, when he is writing to a young pastor named Timothy, he's like, he's trying to help him out. It's like, hey, listen here, young guy, here's some things you need to know to get through life. And he tells, he tells Timothy this in uh, it, 2 Timothy 2.22. So if, it, if you're trying to remember where this is at, guys and gals, uh, 2.22, 2, 2, 2. 2 Timothy 2.22 says this, it says, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Paul's like, listen, brother, Timothy, you've got to run away. Whenever you're tempted, you've got to get up and you've got to get out. You have to leave right now because it takes a thousand no's to get out of this situation for Joseph, but it only takes one yes for his character to be corrupted and for him to pay the consequences of the one yes. Sometimes, guys, you have to flee. You just got to run away. Uh, and, you know, Paul, he ends us along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Even if you're by yourself, in a foreign land, you have to run away. And the way Paul tells us, like there are others who feel like they're by themselves, but they are calling on the Lord with a pure heart. Joseph, what do you have to do to get away from Potiphar's wife? She's day after day coming after you. You got to run away. Verse 11, Genesis 39, verse 11. But one day when he went into the house to do his work, it's just a day, man, poor Joseph, He's just doing his job. Just leave me alone, woman. Leave me alone. <laughs> and he's just in there trying to work. She caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of the household and said to them, see, he has brought among us a Jew to laugh at us. Fun little Bible study tip. That word laugh at us is Isaac, which is uh, his grandfather's name. Isaac means to laugh. This is, this is a, a theme that comes up in Genesis quite a bit that God might be trying to mock all these people, but he isn't. He's brought this Hebrew up to laugh at us. He, he came in to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice. You guys heard me scream. And as soon as he heard that, I lifted up my voice and cried out. He left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. So she's telling the other servants in the house. She's getting her story down. She's, she's, she's conniving, man. Um, you know, it says that, that grabbed his, his garment. It's, it's ironic to me that uh, this is the second time Joseph's garment is brought into uh, picture before it was a coat of many colors, and they took that garment off of him. They ripped it off of him, uh, and then they used it to prove to dad that he's been injured. If that doesn't make sense to you, that was last week's message. This week, Potiphar's wife gets a hold of the garment, and he's just like, nope, and just like like slides out of it, and, and he's gone. Um, we're to infer from this, by the way, it is the only garment that he's wearing. It's not like he had a coat on the outside, and like he had his, he just ran out of the house naked. He's like, no, you can have my clothes. I'm not going to be a part of this at all. And so she's got that garment, and she uses it as evidence. Hey, guys, guys, come, come, look, look, look. He left his garment. And continues verse 16. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. So Potiphar's gone to work doing whatever Potiphar does for a living. He's probably, I don't know, checking the mill or something. Uh, but she lays this garment in the band. It's like, okay, I'm just going to wait for husband to get home so she, he can see this. It's, it's all staged. It's like a, it's like a moment to, to show what's, what's happened. 
Verse 17, and she told him the same story, saying, the Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me and to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. Twice she's lied about Joseph. And yet he's the one of character in this story. You know, um, sometimes when we're uh, trying to navigate our, our life, we, we kind of, we do a couple of different maths that, that I think one of those is like the who's going to know math. Like, okay, can I get away with this? That's a terrible piece of math, by the way. Your character matters um, in those moments. Um, so, so the who's going to know math is terrible. Uh, the other is what about the consequences of doing the right thing? Uh, and then we try to work out that math. Does it matter? Uh, Joseph um, it is going to be a terrible, awful consequence for him to do the right thing. He's not going to lay with Potiphar's wife, and he's told her no a thousand times. And now, and now she tried to force herself on him, and he's just like, no, I'm not. And he leaves, and he runs, and he pays a hard consequence for it. And the question is, is it worth it? Now, you and I are like, I don't know, let's find out. And then we're like, okay, it's worth it. Yeah, it's worth it. But, but he doesn't have that benefit. In that moment, he has to make decisions that will measure his character. Listen to me very, very closely. Your character is not forged when you're in the palace. Your character is found when you're in the pit. Your character is built in those moments of life where it doesn't make sense and you have to make choices about what your values are and who you're going to trust and where your God is in that moment. And then from the pit, whatever character is built is what you bring with you into the palace. Potiphar, or excuse me, Joseph did not learn how to say no to Potiphar's wife when things were going great. He learned to say no to Potiphar's wife when things didn't make sense and he found his only anchor to be the Lord. And because the Lord is right yesterday, and the next day she said it, and the next day, and the next day, what was wrong yesterday is still wrong today. His character has already been forged, and he flees even though it's going to have a terrible consequence for him. Uh, Craig Rochelle, he posted on uh, Facebook just the other day, and I was like, man, that's, a, that's such a good phrase. L listen, listen to this. It says, to step toward your destiny you might have to step away from your security. Let, let, that, let that phrase sink in for a second. To step toward your destiny, you might have to step away from your security. Joseph has already stepped away from his parents, though it wasn't his choice, stepped away from the security of the coat of many colors. He's now stepping away from the security of being in charge of Potiphar's house. Because for him to get to the final chapters of Genesis with his character intact, he has to step away from his security. You and I, uh, our only true security will be in the Lord. And though we look around us and we might think, well, it's my station in life and the Lord has put a good house around me and my family is put together and I've got X number of dollars in the bank account. Those are blessings and securities that the Lord has kind of blessed you with. But your ultimate security is in the Lord because you're one phone call away from all of those things going away, except the Lord. And when we put our faith in these false securities and we, we double down on them, it has the effect of compromising our character. Joseph already knew what it was like to have nothing but the Lord. And so all these other things he knew, they're, they're frivolous, they're temporary, they're just vapors in the wind. 
he chooses the Lord and he flees. But uh, the the scam is up. Let's let's see how this ends for Joey. Verse 19, as soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. Joseph went from pit to palace to prison. Uh, I didn't make the alliteration. Some, you know, just what the Lord put there. his circumstances are like a, like a wave. It just comes and goes. It's great, then terrible, then great. But verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, uh, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge. Because why? Because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. The Lord was with Joseph when he was in the pit. The Lord was in Joseph when he was bought and put in Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph whenever his character was tested. And the Lord was with Joseph when he's thrown into prison because of this lie that's said about him. How you worship in the pit becomes your character in the palace. We use our circumstances as excuses for our anger. We use our circumstances as excuses for mistreating other people. We use our circumstances as excuses to make terrible decisions. But those are the moments that your character is forged. And then you bring that character, that forged character, into moments that are a little bit more outside of your control when the lies are being said about you. Our boy goes back into prison. Now, uh, the word Lord, Yahweh, uh, appears, like I said, a bunch of times in the book of Genesis. I counted it up. Uh, It's 166 times the word Yahweh appears in the book of Genesis. Now, that's a lot. That's a lot of times to repeat a name. You may think, well, he's kind of the main character. Yes, that's, that's the point. However, once you get to Joseph, it slows way, way down. Um, in fact, this one chapter that we read has the word Yahweh in it eight times, and it is the last, with the exception of one more time, that the name Yahweh appears in the entire book of Genesis. If you have your Bible in front of you, you may notice there are several pages left to Genesis. It's a 50-chapter book. Um, the word Yahweh doesn't appear um, anywhere else after this moment except for one more moment. The Lord was with Joseph in the pit, and the Lord was with Joseph in prison, and In all of the chaos, when his brothers come to Egypt looking for help, and he has to face his brothers with, am I going to forgive them? Or are they even worth forgiving? We don't hear the word Yahweh in any of that. Um, When the famine strikes the land and strikes Egypt and everybody is starving, we don't hear the name Yahweh in any of that. But at the end of the story, when Joseph is reunited with his brothers and he forgives his brothers and he sees his dad again and there's all this weeping at the end of the story. We're going to see this in a couple of weeks. There's all of this weeping. We see the name Yahweh appear for the last and final time in the book of Genesis and it comes out of Joseph's dad's mouth. Um, the final time uh, is right before he dies. He's sick. He dies in chapter 50. We have a funeral for Jacob, spoiler alert. But in chapter 49, we 
see the last time that the word Yahweh is used coming out of Jacob's mouth. And he's blessing his sons on his deathbed. And the Old Testament blessings are a little weird. He's like, Issachar, you're super strong. You're going to be so strong for your family. Dan, you're a serpent. You're just like a snake in the grass. And this is like his blessing to his kids. So, uh, you know, if you're working on your funeral arrangements, don't like knock the calling a kid a serpent. Uh, It's in the Bible. And in all of that mess, chapter 49, verse 18 says this. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Jacob, at the end of all of this chaos, in his old age, when his heart is softened, he just looks up to the Lord and he says, he says to Yahweh, I wait for your salvation. I wait for you to make this make sense, God. I wait for you to rescue my family from this because you promised these things to my family and now it's chaotic. I wait for you, O Lord. I wait for you. What are you supposed to do in the pit? You don't have a lot of options. You wait on the Lord and you wait on his salvation. What are you supposed to do when she's lying about you? You don't have a lot of options. You're supposed to wait on the Lord and for his salvation. What are you supposed to do when the boss does blank and when he does this and when she says this? What are you supposed to do when your entire world goes into chaotic circumstances? You don't have a lot of options. But Jacob learned He's going to wait on the Lord in his old age. Your role in your story is to look to the Lord. It is to trust in the Lord. It is to wait on the Lord. It is to lean on the Lord, and it is to run to the Lord. And yet when we're untrained and we're not ready, and we weren't really thinking it through, and we were just kind of running on autopilot. Instead, we look to our circumstances. We trust in the circumstances around us. We wait on our circumstances to get better. We lean on our circumstances, trusting that those are the ones that are going to be our security. And we run to different circumstances. That is a recipe for you and I to stay in the pit. We'll never get out of that pit if all we're doing is trusting our circumstances. But if we run to the Lord, we look to the Lord, we trust on the Lord, we wait on the Lord, we lean on him and trust that he is going to work this out to his good ending, to his salvation, you're going to come out stronger. You're going to come out as a man and a woman of character, and there's nothing that this world will throw at you that is going to remove this phrase from your life. And the Lord was with you. Let's wait on the Lord and his salvation. Let me pray for you. Father, um, Father, we want to be men and women of character. Character is forged in moments of adversity. So Lord, I pray for the men and women in here that are in seasons of adversity, that they would have the viewpoint to look to you, to trust in you, to wait on your salvation. May we play our role well. Um, you, You are the God who's going to see this through. You are the God who is going to write the beautiful chapters. Lord, help us to wait on you and help us to act in the ways that you call us to act and not respond and react to our circumstances. Lord, you are our God. And may may we use you as the filter for what is right and wrong, what is good and evil, and may our choices reflect that you are with us. Um, Give us the courage to do that. Give us the strength to stand up when it's hard. And give us the ability to say no when it's time to say no. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.